So have you ever had a period in your life where it just seemed like sometimes you just get to the point of like, what's, what's the point? Right? Maybe it's a job, maybe it's relationship, whatever it is, and sometimes you're like, I just, it's just, everything's going wrong, everything's just terrible, you know, and I don't see a way out, right? I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, so maybe I'll just quit, right? Maybe I'll quit the job, maybe I'll quit the relationship. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, it gets to the point where you want to quit life, right? Sometimes. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of times you have some kind of thought that you have no hope. You know, and if we listen to Paul through Romans 1 and 2, and in this first part of chapter 3, you're kind of like, there is no hope, right? What am I going to do? There is no hope. We're all terrible. Right? That's really what he said. So if you kind of, kind of catch everybody off for Romans 1 and 2, you know, basically he, he started with the, the Gentiles. After he explained them who he is, you know, he introduced himself to them. He explained to the Gentiles why, where they were going wrong as being Gentiles, non-Jews. Uh, then he moved on to the Jews saying that, hey, look, you're, not, you're nothing special either. You should know better, actually, because you've kept God's word the whole time. And you should definitely know better that the scripture was telling of Christ coming and he, he has now fulfilled this so everything should just click. And so now he's just moving on to everybody, right? He, he's, he had the two groups and now he's going with everybody. He's saying, look, everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's in the same boat. And you're kind of like, because sometimes you watch movies and you're like, man, this is, this is depressing. Like, I'm turning it off. I don't want to, because a lot of times movies are in three acts, right? So you have the problem and you have the, the problem gets worse and the, the homework movies you know, follow this very easy pattern, right? Um, somebody loses their job, seems like very terrible, then all of a sudden everything happens and they get married at the end, right? Their bakery takes off at the mall and they, they, they get married and it's Christmas and everybody gets, the town gets Christmas and everything else, right? Um, but sometimes, depending on what show or movie you're watching, because they're easy to see or a book you're reading, those things, you're like, man, what is going to happen? And sometimes if it's a well-written book or movie, you want to keep watching or reading. Other times you're like, this is, this is so terrible, I don't, even want to, I don't even care. Because this is terrible, this is worse than life. I don't want to deal with it. And so, you know, if you keep reading through Paul, you're like, man, where's Paul going with this? Right? Where is Paul going? This is just so depressing. I don't even want to be, I hope he's getting somewhere good because I don't want to be a Christian. I'm afraid to be a human being right now because God is going to judge everybody. Because that's kind of how I read it sometimes. Like, this is just, I have nothing to live for. I have nothing to look forward to. I have nothing that makes me want to be good, so I might as well be bad. And that's how some people think. They're like, well, if God doesn't exist, or even if, he, if I'm going to be judged, I might as well do stuff to get judged for, right? So sometimes when, when you treat somebody like a kid, if you're, they're adults, you treat your, your siblings, your parents treat your siblings maybe um, like they're little kids, and they say, I'm going to act like a little kid. Even though I'm an adult, I know better, I'm still going to act that way. Because if I'm going to get in trouble, I might as well do whatever I'm getting in trouble for. So that's no way to act, as Paul, and Paul's going to kind of get into that in, towards the end of this chapter. Um, but that's what it is. And, and the good news is that Paul brings it all the way around to the gospel message here toward, towards the back half from you know, verse 22 and 23 that gives us the hope. And that's what we bring to the world. That's what Jesus brings to the world. He brings to the world the hope that there's a way out. There's a way out from the judgment. There's, a, there's an escape plan to get, for us to get out from underneath God's judgment. And so he's going to go ahead and start this. And we're going to go ahead and read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And then we'll go through, if you look on your outline, 
You see this because the title of this is called Righteousness Revealed. And so God is revealing this, His righteousness through truth. He's revealing it through judgment. He's revealing it through grace, finally, and then through faith. Right? So we have all these things. So the first two seem kind of bad, or maybe a little negative or harsh. The other two are extremely happy and, well, graceful, really, for lack of a better term, or the best term. So I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 3, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll get into the rest of the sermon. So Paul says, So what advantage does the law have? Or does the Jew have, excuse me. Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then? If some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if you are unrighteous, if, you're, if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? Am I, using, I am using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will, how will God judge the world? But if, my, but if by my lie, God's truth abounds to His glory, what am I, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. And so Paul's laying out this argument. He's finishing up kind of his argument from chapter 2. So, you know, we kind of have these artificial breaks because these are just letters that Paul wrote. He just wrote, we write letters. We may have paragraphs, but we don't, we don't put one, two, three as, as our chapters, as we call it in our letters. So, you know, they're there so we can remember and recall certain things in the Bible. But we... He's, he's continuing on this argument. He's getting to his big point here that is the good news, literally, you know, of Jesus here in verse 21 and 22. So here's the main idea for this one, that God reveals His righteous, righteousness and grace through Jesus, and we are made righteous through Him. Right, so God reveals His righteousness and grace through Jesus, and we are made righteous through Him, through Jesus. Right, we, we, his righteousness is imputed or given to us. That is transferred to us. And so the first part, righteousness through truth, through truth, and we have this. And so, again, Paul continues this argument with his imaginary defender. Right? He's, he's writing, and he's sort of writing both sides of the argument, figuring out what people are going to refute what he's saying. And so he's continuing on with this in these first eight verses. And he, he just finishes, look... In chapter 2, he's like, look, people need to have the right heart, right? The true circumcision is what he calls it. He wasn't worried with the physical uh, circumcision that the Jews were, that they kind of identified you as a Jew, but he's concerned with the real circumcision of your heart, meaning you have cut out the bad things in your heart, and you've, God has replaced it with the Holy Spirit. Right? You, you, he's taken out your, your heart of stone, and he's replaced it with the heart of flesh. And so the defendant may ask Paul, and Paul's looking at this way, he's like, well, what benefit is it to be Jewish? Why should I even be Jewish? If, if I'm Jewish already, why should I stay Jewish? Why should I be Jewish? And Paul gives the answer in verse 2. He says, it is considerable advantage because the Jews are entrusted with God's word, right? So this lineage goes all the way back to Adam when God gave Adam one command, right? Don't eat the fruit from the tree. It proceeded through Noah, then Abraham, which right, we talked about Genesis all the way from Genesis 12 to 20, or 25 a few weeks ago. We ended that. Going to Moses, on to David, to the, all the prophets, all of that is God's word. You have these men who were capturing and writing down God's word to push along this God's story because that was 
everything is in, in tune and everything is moving toward bringing Jesus into the world. Right? Foretelling it, everything's marching toward that. The Jews were the keeper of the word and they did a really good job. But of course they're people and they get, they get wrapped up in the details. They get wrapped up in the rules and the law of what it says and they forget why the law is there. They forget who they're worshiping. They're more concerned with worshiping and following the rules because they're commanded to than following God and obeying God. And so all of this, because all of the words are reading, keeping, you sa- keeping you safe, essentially, on straight and narrow, until Jesus comes. And after Jesus comes and He ascends back to heaven, we have the apostles, the disciples, and the disciples, Peter, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, writing these things down to what happened. Right? They wrote the Gospels, so they told everybody who, wasn't, who weren't there in Jerusalem who, who were able to hang out with Jesus and see him. They wrote it down for so they could make more disciples. They, Paul was traveling around starting churches, writing things down. You know, he was the internet of the day, essentially. There was no place to Google Jesus. Right? He was making Google, eventually, for Jesus. It was what he was doing with all these letters. So all of these people were talking about who Jesus was, what happened, what it means for the world, what it means for everybody, when Je- what Jesus did on the cross. Right? That is what Paul's letters are doing. That's what the Gospels do. That's what Peter's letters do. And so in verses 4 and 5, Paul quotes Psalm 116 and then Psalm 51 respectively. And so one commentator says this is the assertion is supported. So what Paul is saying about the, the word and the faithfulness, the assertion is supported the reference to David's great prayer or prayer of penance in Psalm 51. And so David confessed his sin and acknowledged that God was justified in his judgment. And that's Psalm 51.4. And Paul was saying that God will be proven right when he speaks in judgment. He will win the verdict when the world goes on trial because that's what's going to happen on the last day. The world goes on trial and God will win because it's His standards. Because God is always true to His word. He is faithful to His righteous character. And that God's faithfulness guaranteed His blessings was accepted without question. But that the same faithfulness also involved punishment for disobedience was conveniently forgotten. We like to always talk about God's love, but a lot of times we forget about God's wrath. Because sometimes it's too mean, it's too scary, whatever it is, I don't want to think about that, so I'm just... I have an unbalanced God now. I just have this God of happy and happiness and love, and I forget that there is a whole other side of the coin. We have to have both. We have to understand that both things are true, and God can be love and full of full of love and full of wrath at the same time. There's, it's not an impossibility for Him. But God is righteous because He is true and just. Right? He cannot lie. His will cannot be thwarted. Whatever, we don't stop God from doing things. because you know, No matter what we think, we're not going to stop God's plans. Right? The Jews tried that with, by crucifying Jesus, and they walked right into God's plans. Satan actually started the whole thing when he tried to overthrow God and everything else and tried to overthrow Adam. He walked right into the plan. Whether they were knowing about it or not, he, God has already got it handled. Right? God's righteousness, though, is, is, one, is an attribute that is sometimes referred to as one of His ethical attributes. Right? It's, it's his ethical attributes. So, so one, it is unethical to lie. He can't, be, he can't lie. He has to be true. So what He says about these things, whether the, the judgment or the love, the salvation, is going to come true. He's not just doing it to scare you. 
Right? It's, it's, also un, uh, it's also unethical to make promises that you cannot or will not keep. He didn't make the covenant with Abraham and say, ah, never mind, I take it back. Right? He, didn't, he didn't do that. He doesn't say that to you or me when we're saved. If we are saved, he doesn't say, oh, never mind, I'm taking that back. You're not actually not saved anymore. You are saved in spite of what you do, just like we, that's why we covered Abraham, because he was in the covenant, God maintained the covenant, in spite of what Abraham did. And when Abraham did well, he said, he was like, hey, you got it, you're, I'm, you're reinforcing it. And so righteousness and justice, are, they're, they're, they're legal terms, and they indicate that God's conduct measures up to the highest standards, which is his own standards. Right? The, the righteousness is God's own standard. It's his, it's his own standard of fairness and equity. And so if someone is unethical, they are not worthy of following. Because they have low standards. They just are trying to get by. They're always looking out for themselves, usually. They may do everything legally. Because right? there's a difference between doing things legally and doing things ethically. You can do things legally and not do things necessarily ethically. And I'm not talking about when we make mistakes, because we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. Right? I'm, we, and we have to employ our own good or bad judgment in these situations, right? But, but I'm talking people who willfully know that they are basically cheating and lying to people. But God is not here to cheat you, cheat you or lie to you about your salvation. And so Paul says, though, he says, well, what should we do? Should we just try to keep sinning? We'll just keep sinning and see how just and good God is, right? Let's, let's go prove it to me. So I'm going to do something so terrible and make you fix it. Because I want to see how great God is, and that's, that's the worst logic ever. You know, it, it, does, it doesn't work that way. We should understand that what we know about God is that He is good because we have seen God and, he, and we have committed evil. But we should never want to go back to that sinful life again. Once we see what good really is, we shouldn't want to do evil anymore. To prove a point or otherwise. We should want to stay on this side of the path, we'll say. Because we have now been transformed. And so the truth is, though, that one of the truths is that God is the only one that can pass judgment onto this world. And so we move into verses 9 through 20. That's kind of the biggest chunk, but largely because you know, 11, or t 11 through 18 is one giant quote of, of some psalms and things. But here is what... Paul says for, for the, you know, the, 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 uh, the crushing bad news in a sense. He says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now this is where a lot of people turn the movie off. Like, God, this is uh, just too depressing. Like, what does that mean? I'm just terrible. I'm a horrible human being. And a lot of times we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear the truth of the matter that we're not good. We don't live up to God's standard. And that's just a fact. But that's okay because now we have a Savior in Jesus who actually moves us up. He brings us up a level. And so verses 10 through 18 can be summed up like this. Everyone has sinned. Nobody fears God. Everybody lies. Right? That's kind of the, the whole thing is, is we have created our own world. We have become our own king. <clears throat> so I'll nerd out for a minute. I was watching Return of the King. It's Lord, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. So it's the third, the third movie or the third book, if you want to. Breaking into two big, uh, three big books. Um, so the one main city has a steward, and they're waiting for the king to come back. But the king has not come back for so long, for for centuries, um, that the stewards have been in charge for so long that they have now considered themselves kings. And actually, he's when 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 the 
the main, one of the main characters comes and says, look, the king's coming back. And he's like, the king has no place here. I'm the king. And that's how we are in the world. When Jesus is here. He, he has come back. But we're so enthralled with our world and how we want to run things. We say, there's no room in my heart, in my kingdom for Jesus. I'm the king. <clears throat> Nobody can come in here. No, it's my room. Right? And that is what happens to a lot of us, and that's what happens to a lot of the world because we are so selfish that we don't want to move ourselves out. We don't think we're doing wrong. We don't, you know, again, it comes back to the, well, I haven't killed anybody yet. Well, or at all, or ever. That's, that's a very low bar, right? That's a very low bar if you haven't done that. If, that. if that's your measure of what a good person is, I don't know. There's probably, you probably should have a couple more notches on there. But that's what's happening. Paul is saying, look, this is what it is. Everybody, there is no one righteous. And so you may be thinking, if we're all so bad, then we're all doomed, then why even try to be good? I'm just going to be worse. Or why not be as bad as we want to be? So according to the law, we all deserve jail. What awaits us is a cell. There's no way out. It's hopeless. There's no way out. We're, we're locked away from the light, so why try? So you may have heard the saying or the proverb, uh, it's always darkest just before the day dawns, or you know, there's a couple variations. Um, but this is thought to be first recorded in 1850 by Thomas Fuller, who was an English theologian. And I read something when I was Googling this, I was looking at it, and somebody said, well, no, the, the middle of the night is the darkest time of the day, or the dark, darkest time of the night, right? <clears throat> but there's a unique function, there's a unique thing that happens either at dusk or dawn, it, makes, it may make it seem darker. It's because of your eyes. So when it's dusk or dawn, your eyes transition because your eyes use either rods or cones, depending on what it is, either bright light or low light, to help you see better. And so twilight is common for accidents because your eyes are transitioning and your vision and reaction time suffer because you can't see very well, so essentially you're kind of blinded. That's why it's worse when you're driving and everybody has their lights on or doesn't have their lights on, you can't see. It's, it's a bit darker until the sun comes fully up or at least goes fully down and you can, your eyes actually adjust to the dark. Because then you can actually see a little better if, you're, if you work out your night vision. You can actually see better. So I think I told you one time I was, when I was a kid, we were hunting, we were archery hunting, I think it was, it was a little warmer. So we'd trudge up the mountain in the dark, you know, like 4, 35 o'clock. We get settled in. My dad sits me in the one spot. I'm up on this little knoll. And like I said, it was kind of fall, so it's a little warm. It's warm enough to not have to wear a snowsuit. We get there, and it's fairly open, but there's... I'm up on a knoll, and there's, like, trees and everything around. And I'm looking. I'm not alone, because my uncle and my cousins and my dad are other places, but we're spread out far enough where we're not going to hit each other with the arrows or anything. But I'm fairly alone, right? It's super quiet. If you've ever been out in the woods that early, it's, like, super duper quiet. You know, the birds kind of start... They're not even awake yet. And I'm just sitting there with my back against the tree. I'm like 13 or 14. I'm just kind of there. And so you want to familiarize yourself with the surroundings. Right? So you're looking around. You're, you're trying to look and see what's going on, what you can see and not see. So your eyes are adjusting, right? Like I said, it, it's getting light kind of, but you're up on a mountain with trees, so it's even harder to see. And I look at this one spot, and I see this thing. I didn't know what it was. I was kind of sure it was a tree stump, but it also looked like a bear. 
I couldn't tell, right? Because when you're walking up in the woods, you've ever had you have a flashlight, so all you see is like this, right? So unless you shine your flashlight over the place, then once you get settled, you can't just shine your flashlight around because you'll scare the deer around if they're around. So I'm looking. I look away. That can't be a bear. It can't be a bear. It's got to be a tree. What is it? I don't know. Look away. Still looks like a bear. And why is it still there? Right? Is it just waiting, stalking me? This goes on for like 20 minutes. I keep checking in. Can I keep getting a little more nervous, a little more nervous? And I'm like, it's probably a stump, right? It hasn't moved. It, a bear's not that still. they got to make some kind of noise. Well, luckily, as it got light enough and my eyes adjusted, it was a stump. But sure enough, to a 13-year-old kid, it looked like a bear. Right? And I was scared. And it's a little silly sometimes but with the topic we're talking about, but, but that's how we talk ourselves into a, a fearing things we can't see all the way. Because you're up on a mountain in the woods in the dark by yourself, essentially. It's a little scary. The, the light came and illuminated the stump so I could tell it was an actual stump, right? And the same thing with our sin. The light actually illuminates our sin so we can see what it is. When we're blinded by the darkness or the half-darkness, half-light, we don't think sin is that bad a lot of times. We don't think what we're doing is that terrible. Until the light fully comes on and goes, oh, that's what I'm doing? That's, what the, that's the havoc I'm creating in my life doing this? Either just by myself or with other people. You know, creating havoc with other people. That's what it is. But once we see that, we can clearly see the way that God has provided us the way out. And so Paul moves into this righteousness through grace in verses 21 through 26. And this is a pivotal section of Paul's argument. So we're going to start at verse 22. He says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all who, who have sinned fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so that He would ju be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. You're all sinners, but God has made a way to make you right. It's through the faith in Jesus Christ through all who believe. Since there is no distinction, right? There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, barbarian, whoever, Greek. Doesn't matter. You're all eligible for salvation. Because they're justified freely by His grace. Right? There is a way out of the darkness. There is an end to the pain and escape from the punishment that we all deserve. How? The way to God is through faith, right? That word pistos in Greek, right? It's, it's faith, it's belief, it's trust. It's all those things that we sort of lose sight of in English. That it's all those things all at once that we do, that we exercise. And who is it for? All of those who believe. So we have been given faith in order to believe. Right? So this is where it gets tricky. You say, ah, everybody, everybody can choose, Yes. But if you've, been given, if you've been given the faith by God, through, by God, you will now make that choice. Again, you can't thwart God's plan. Right? This is where it hangs in the balance of like, well, God, I get to choose. God is going to show you the right way. He's going to open your eyes and you're going to just come to that conclusion. And how does it work? It's the blood of Jesus, the atoning of Jesus Christ, a propitiation, right? It's the sacrificing atonement or propitiation. Some of your Bibles may say propitiation. And that is the removal of the wrath. 
And that is what, that's what happened on the, on the cross, that God's wrath was removed, he was appeased, because that's what Jesus came to do. Some, some people may think it's the expiation, as well, that God passes over the sins previously committed. He kind of erases them. I don't see why it can't be both, right? Because there's some uh, discussion of what the, Greek, what the Greek words actually mean. But really, I don't see why it's not both, because he doesn't remember your sins anymore. Your sins are thrown into the ocean of the deepest depths, is what the Old Testament says. So that's the expiation. The propitiation is the removing of the wrath. We are no longer under God's judgment. We are now moved to the other side. We are now on, you know, under Jesus' protection. And so that is the good news that we don't have to worry about this anymore, that we are no longer in that category of unrighteousness. We are in the category of righteous. And not by our own doing. Right? Because Jesus is the one set forth by God as a propitiatory sacrifice to be received through faith. Right? And the sacrifice involved the death of His Son. And we know that that's what Easter, you know, His resurrection is what we get excited about with Easter. His coming is what we get excited about for Christmas. Because when He comes, He is here to grow up and become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And this is why we had to make sure we don't get too excited in a way. Because again, verse 27, Paul says, Where then is boasting is excluded? Because we did nothing for the salvation that we have been given. Right? It was all done through grace, and now it's through faith. <clears throat> so Paul wants to make sure that his audience knows who has done all the work. God did all the work. God wrote the plan. God enacted the plan. God put the plan. God had kept the plan going. God gets you to the point of salvation because you've already been justified on the cross. Right? You were paid for on the cross. Before we were born, before we were even, before all this even happened, we were already done. Our names were in the Lamb's book of life. So for us, getting us to that point, you know, we have to go through the motions, essentially live our lives to get us to that point of where we have our eyes open, the light, the flashlight is shining onto our, our, our sins. God has provided everything you need for your salvation because He removed the judgment that is on your head. He dropped all the charges. This wasn't because you've hired a slick lawyer that found a loophole that said, well, God, you know, they weren't even at the, 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 the scene of the crime. They weren't here. That's not their fault. They, were not, they weren't even involved. Or, you know, hey, the cop didn't read you. Read him his rights. <clears throat> so regardless of whatever you have, you guys didn't follow due process, so he can't, be, he can't be convicted. That's not how this works. He said, you're guilty, but I'm removing that charge from you. You are saved through Jesus. Because God paid your sins, right? It's not like being a fine, but he paid because of it. Right? Jesus paid the fine because of your sins. When he died on the cross, that's what he was doing. And you are free because of God's grace. And so why can't we boast? Well, because the answer is that, the, that faith by its very nature rules out all boasting. People cannot boast of, which, of that which they receive through no merit of their own. Obviously, boasting is not excluded in a universe that rewards personal achievement. So again, you can, hey, look, I got a new car. I, got, I, got a, I bought a Lamborghini. I bought it. I didn't, right? I don't make that much money. 
<clears throat> but it'd be, it is, yeah, hey, I, wor- I worked hard enough and I, got a- I was able to do this thing. Right? No matter how hard we work, we cannot afford salvation. There's no way to go to the salvation store and buy it. It doesn't work that way. And this is similar to why Abraham didn't take money rewards from the kings of the armies when he, he rescued everybody, rescued Lot and some other people. He was like, I'm not taking money from you so you can't boast about where I got my money from. He didn't want them to boast that they made Abraham rich. Only God did that. Only God made Abraham rich. And so Paul is telling his audience that we should be humble that God paid for you and gave you the ability to receive the gift. And lastly, Paul brings in the law and faith together. So faith upholds the law in a sense that it fulfills all the obligations of the law. So we don't need to get rid of the law necessarily, but we also need to, we don't need to follow every jot and tittle of, of again, making sure we cook our food correctly kosher, according to the kosher rules and wear certain clothing or not, whatever we do. We are free from those parts because Jesus fulfilled all those obligations for us. So wrap it up, right? Paul lays out the greatest news to us. Even though he starts off dark in the first couple of chapters, again, let's leave something that this is not going to end well. We're all, you know, this is the movie where everybody dies. And it's not. Luckily it's not. It's good news because, because we know that we think stories should have happy endings. And some, but sometimes the you know, books are books, but life is life. So life is different. But when you're in the middle of it, it seems like there's no hope, but there's always hope. There's always hope in Jesus because God is there. Right? He may not seem like it, or you may think it because he didn't answer the way you wanted him to, that he's for, forgot about you or whatever, but he is guiding you through the dark times as well as the good times. Right? Again, it's both things. He doesn't just drop you off at the bus stop and say, well, I hope you make it home. He said, here's, here's what you need to get home and I'll be with you. We have to use faith, the faith that God gave us and appreciate the gift that he gave you in Jesus Christ, the new everlasting life that was made possible by Jesus' sacrifice. Right? That, is, that is the good news that we have that. And we can do our part, though, by showing people and telling people about the object of our hope. So why are you so happy? Why are you hope, so hopeful? Because Jesus has come and he's taken away my sins. God has provided a way. The Holy Spirit gets me to where I'm going. Right? That's how the Trinity works together. For all these things, that the, the triune God is working. They're all distinct. They work in our lives to bring us to the point of belief so that we can know God in all His glory. That we know that we can have hope in this world. Even though it seems terrible, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We all kind of want to say that sometimes. But again, that's also part of the plan. Some of the stuff, depending on how you want to read Revelation, you know that things are going to get the way they are. And so because we're all going towards the last day, whether it happens tomorrow or it happens a million years from now, whatever it is, Jesus is still there. God is on the throne. And so as we go out this week, hopefully we, I want you guys to take solace in that fact and, and, and have hope. Remember that you have hope. Remember that you've been given the gift of Jesus. So as the band comes up, all right, we'll sing our last couple songs and we'll uh, close in prayer.